Hello and welcome to Tread Lightly, the podcast of two dinosaurs talking about books with a nice cup of tea. It's me, Trex, from Germany, and over there we have Raptor from Australia. And today we're talking about Obernewton, the first book in the Obernewton Chronicles by Isabel Carmody. Sent to the remote mountain institute of Obernewton, where escape is impossible, the powerful far-seeker Elspeth Gordy must throw her safe cloak of concealment and pit herself against those who would reconstruct the terrible forces of the apocalypse. Okay, that's short, snappy, and heavy-handed. Yeah. But, yeah, pretty much covers everything that happens in the story. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So, um, I I got that book from you, pretty much. So, yeah. where did, where did this, you find it? I am not 100% sure. So, I specifically recall talking about this book in great detail when I in like 2005 yeah 2005 and before that point um, my grandfather used to take me to the library frequently and um, Isabel Carmody I was really drawn to her because of her name and um <laughs> That, so and just like it being familiar um, so I think that I would have picked up the book there and I proceeded to purchase it and all the subsequent ones and read a lot of Isabel Carmody's back catalogue because I really like her and this is probably one of my favourite childhood books this was a book that I got to choose myself and read by myself Whereas, like, a lot of the other books that are probably on my list of childhood favourites were other people gave to me, or they were were milestones and marker stones, like, while I was at school. This one is, like, my choice, and so it, it holds a really special place in my heart, and I think it's also one of the first books that I bought myself with, like, money that I had earned. So, you know, it's it's pretty exciting. Okay. And, and I did actually look up the publication date of this one because it's not none of these books have come out in a timely manner until right at the end of the series um, <laughs> true so the, yeah so you know there was a couple of 10 year waits in there and the version of the book that I have the Newton Chronicles was published in 2002 so and I think yeah I mean the 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 book I have is um, actually from '93. Uh, yeah, so that would have been when it that's. that's I mean, it came actually, out in '87. Yeah, depending on where it was printed, though, that could be a first edition. You should check that. I mean, I doubt it, honestly. Um. Because it wasn't published, it wasn't published, it's only been published in Portugal, the USA, Australia, Canada, Australia yeah. and Canada. So it, there was a very first publication in 1987 and then again was republished in 1993. So, I don't know, this could be exciting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Yeah. Whereas mine, I think, the the first printing of the compendium or the Ub Newton Chronicles books one through three. Okay. Anyway, well, I am a big fan of this book, clearly. I did like it. Um, I had no idea what it was about, because as it seems per usual now, whenever you tell me to read a book, I don't read the blurb or anything. I'll just take the book and start reading it. Um, My recommendations don't take you that astray, do they? <laughs> I, no, but I mean... Angel's Guide aside... <laughs> oh, an- sorry, Angel Hunter, whatever it fucking was. Anyway, Hunter's Guide, Angel's Blood. That one aside. <laughs> I think that's so wrong. <laughs> um, yes, no, I mean, it's a pretty good book. I, I mean, I really like that she managed to flesh out every char- character she introduced, even if they, like, never show up again. She has a really good way of, in a quick and precise way, give you a really good image of characters, even if they're just non-important side characters you probably will never hear of again. Yeah, I think she does a really good job of of not being dry, but giving lots and lots of um, details about the scene itself. So my issue with J.R. Tolkien and Jane Austen and even George R. R. Martin is I find them very dry because they have these heavy and very detailed descriptions about the environment and how these people look which is good and is great for those people that can read that book, those kind of books but for me I just really struggle to, to absorb all of that detail and keep pace with the story. And I think she's got a really good balance in uh, um, in Ob Newton. Yeah, no, that's true. I, I do have to say that I think the first half of the book was... Um, I mean, to be fair, I, I don't know what the target audience here is. But for me, the first half of the book was rather boring. I thought. This is considered an older young adult novel. So not like... 12, 13, 14, 15, but 15, 16, 17, 18. Yeah. So I think if I would have had the book being in the in the right age, I probably would have not finished it because I think I would have honestly uh, given up out of boredom. <laughs> I mean, it's not like it's like super uninteresting or something. It's just that in, in the first half there's there's no mystery really introduced or there's nothing, I don't know, there isn't that big hook that gets you where you're like, ah, i got to read to the end now because I want to know the answer to this question or whatever it is. So I think it yeah. It wasn't until she properly introduced the the whole mystery of what is actually going on at Ober Newton that, that the whole story got a bit of a, of a pull. Yeah, and, and I can see that, um, but I think that, I, I guess, for me, the starting mystery is, like, is she is she going to make it out of the, the, basically, the orphanage? Is she going to get out without getting murdered? Um, yeah, although we don't really dwell on that a lot, like, all of those things happen fairly quickly, because she does a lot of, um, she also does a lot of big time jumps. Without 
ever yeah. mentioning them that big? <laughs> well, I think the one of her life in the kitchens, I think, is fair enough. Like, literally nothing exciting happened in that time. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we should... We should we should move on from the spoilers, but there's there are a couple of time jumps, and I think a couple of them are justified. But yeah. um, I mean they they are they are justified. I, I think so too. Um, yeah. So we should get into the spoiler section. We can talk through the story. Yes. Are you ready for this, or do you need booze or something? <laughs> no, I am fine. It's early in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, well, I brought the whole teapot this time. Yes, much excited. Let's go. Let's do this shit. Yes. All right. Cool. So, where do you wanna, where do you wanna like jump on board? Well, first we... of all, I have to say I really like that she gave, um, like that the first three pages are just the backstory of the history. Like I do. Yeah, the enjoy the that prologue. we don't have to. Yeah, that we that she gives a proper introduction, and we don't have to learn all of the history through exposition in the book, but that she establishes yeah a scene. I, I do like that. Yeah, and because it is like quite a a convoluted post-apocalyptic world. Yeah, it is. It is good that she she has like established the history of the the whole country that everybody knows anyway so that we're not behind when those details are just like scattered throughout the story we don't have to piece that together that's not a mystery to anyone right in the book and therefore it's not a mystery to the reader either yeah so i think that's done really well yeah so what do you think of her post-apocalyptic world anyway um I have to say... <laughs> or do you think nuclear holocaust on the cards? Um, I'm surprised the book didn't get a little popular search when the whole topic of US versus North Korea was on the table. Because uh, there would have been some great preparation. A too old. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, I, I, mean do, I, I like the, the image of the nuclear holocaust because it is, you know, kind of realistic. <laughs> So yeah, I do and, and I do, yeah, I think it's a, she's done a really good job with the world building around that. And excuse me, Jesus, um, you can cut that burp out, right? <laughs> um, I, yeah, like I think she's done a really good job with the that whole world building aspect of it. Um, and like I do think it's quite um, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm like getting stuck. It's quite it's like quite at the front of my mind, given that where where we're at, like well where we've been at since my childhood. I just I thought it was like relevant the whole time. Whereas like there's other like post-apocalyptic stories that you hear and you're like, yeah, is that is that a real is that a real issue? Don't know. Not sure. Yeah. I mean, I we get the hyped up. Uh, I thought we get the hyped up um, info of you know all the things that the clearly the, the radiation did, and then I wish I, we would have had more interesting things in the book, like 
mutated people or animals. I mean, I know that the mutated people get murdered off. Yeah, they get killed off pretty quickly. Well, she she does kind of mention that 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 like anything that was not in quote normal gets burnt like and gets removed pretty quickly, but it's like anything that's mutated on the inside is not doesn't really doesn't really get burnt at the stake. Yeah, but yeah, definitely would have been. would have been interesting to, I don't know, see a cat with two hats or something. Yeah, <laughs> some but, like, I, I think she does a pretty good job of establishing that nobody would let that carry on because, you know, because it's bad. Well, it could have because been on her, tr- she could have seen it on her travels or something. Mm, I think they do a pretty good job of eradicating anything abnormal. Anyway, so after this world establishment, we get um, Elspeth, who is our protagonist, who we actually don't learn the name of right away. Yeah, actually, it it, it takes like three chapters to actually find out what gender she is. Yeah, And, uh, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad way to do it, but I think it's pretty good. Um, so this character that we've we've entered in this world that we've entered has been sent off to collect white stick in the Silent Valley. So this seems to be uh, like a radioactive material that yes. um, people can turn into potions, effectively what they call medicine um, to like save uh, for a sleeping draught and for like a bunch of other inconsequential things like headache medicine and stuff like that which yeah so we've arrived at done by the herders we've, we've arrived at nuclear medicine just like it's fine the pills yeah. are radioactive so everybody okay. eats radioactive things yeah um that aside that's what we're collecting and why we're collecting it but we have a group of orphans and they have apparently there's a lot of orphans in this um community because they keep uh, killing off anybody who's like doesn't agree with their belief system and they keep killing off um, anybody that they consider mutated which again doesn't really follow their belief systems or it's just inconvenient Um, but they're not killing off the children it's really great how we how we went from clearly an evolved society to apocalypse and then right back to the dark ages with religion just taking over. Yeah, I like I think they've I think she's done a really good job with it. Um yeah. Like it is the tried and true method of our humans take power. <laughs> like yeah, believe this and don't be an outsider. Yeah, um, pretty much. Also Naming naming God Lud. <laughs> yeah, I know, that's pretty funny. <sighs> yes. Anyway, so there are a lot of Luddites, if you will. Um, uh, yeah, so, and they're collecting this white stick. We have a couple of characters on this journey. Um, we have Eli, who is the expedition leader and we have 
a young herder priest who, uh, yeah, basically he's going to be the one that saves them from the spirits of the before-timers that could potentially haunt them as long as they're, like, religious enough? I don't know what his job is. She's like... It it is a bit weird. It's like, we, we need... We need religious support around here just for the safety. It's it's super weird. But just at the, the same safety. time, I mean, at the same time, they're also, it sounds like they should also be trained in some sort of combat. Like, it, it doesn't sound like they're just Well, he's, moral he's support. also a medic. Um, like, when she falls into the puddle. Yeah, but then um, they're not allowed to use herbal medicine because that's witchcraft now yes and that is a contentious issue for some of the characters in the book because it's only just been decided that it's um, witchcraft yeah just because we didn't have enough things that are forbidden let's add to the list yeah and I think that, that a lot of them a lot of the older characters struggle with something that was good before no longer being good um, yeah definitely I mean you can't drink your herbal tea now anymore. That kind of sucks. Uh, but why would I want to drink black tea? It's disgusting. How dare you? How dare you? Uh, it kind of is, though. It kind of is. Okay, we got to move on now. Yes, anyway, so this is a very long story. We're going to try and bust through it as quickly as we can because it's really long. Although, if, if you look at the plot points, it's actually not that much that happens. Yeah, and I think part of that is, like, the character building and the background given for all of those characters, which, which we've agreed was rather important. Or at least she did a very good job of it. Yeah. Okay, so... We get that nice introduction about the apocalypse. We get to know her on that weird journey to collect... I mean... When I when I heard the the white stick and the small description we got of it, I kept seeing the image of Homer Simpson from the opening of The Simpsons, where he just oh, holds that green uranium stick or whatever it is. Yeah. So that's that's the image I have in my head of them collecting white stick in a clearly like tainted area or radi- radioactive area, I presume. Yeah, and I think it is something like that, and they do mention that, like, it is clearly radioactive, and people that do it for a long time get sick, and they get, like, rotting lung disease um, from breathing it in, and then they, and then they subsequently die, and that's kind of, like, the biggest fear for a lot of these people, and that's why it's a job for, effectively, the community's unwanted, which we go into great detail, great, great detail to talk about. Um, she also, in this, we get covered off a couple of girls, or one of the girls who's incredibly outspoken, and how fearful everyone becomes around her, because they're worried that she's going to get reported, and anybody who's even near her will effectively get murdered. (laughs) Yeah, Um, because we have, I, I don't know what point it is established, but we do have a lot of the whole... I don't know, it feels a lot like like Salem Witch Trials sort of area where you have a lot of convicted by association, basically. Yeah, and yes, and a lot of of convicted by association, like... Because if your um, parents, for example, are found 
to be traitors, whatever the word was, then yeah, then the kids automatically just become lowest of the low orphans, and then that's yeah. And then they have to go and try and qualify for a normalcy certificate. Like, <laughs> yes. that's the thing that you have to work towards. And if you have anything that's even remotely, like, bad on your transcript, you don't get it. Which basically means you then get sent to the council farms, which is the adult version of these orphanages where you get stuck doing, like, this manual labor that nobody wants to do that puts you at high risk. Yeah, I mean, it's basically slavery in the end. Yeah. Um, which is very sucky. And so later we get... Um, Elspeth basically gets convicted of being a weirdo, which she is, so fair enough. Um, but they, they give a description of her, like, file from the Kinraid home and... Somebody accused her of giving them the of accused her of giving them the evil eye, which means that she would never have qualified anyway. And yeah. like, that's enough to stop you qualifying. This is ridiculous. So it's a pretty harsh world. Yeah, it, it definitely is. And uh, most people live in that complete uh, fear of the council. Yeah, a hundred percent. Just or just fear of being burned to the stake. Anybody Which is can reasonable. Do that. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Like that's allowed. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so okay, all of these things kind of get introduced to us on this walk into the Silent Valley. She has a fall and falls in tainted water. Well, she falls in water, which we later lie to everybody and say is tainted, but isn't actually tainted. Um, the herder who may have combat powers we don't know about, um, gives her, like, uh, addressing, uh, bandages her wounds, because she ends up with a head wound. Actually, yeah. she gets a number of head wounds in this story, and I'm, like, really worried about the number of concussions she has, because she, like, later she passes out in the snow, she has ongoing long-term headaches, and I just, like, honey, like, how is your brain? <laughs> yes. Yes. The answer is broken. Um, anyway. Yeah, so then we're back to Kinraid, which is the name of the orphanage in which she and her brother live. And she and her brother don't necessarily have the best relationship. No, that's true. I mean, they... It, it sounds like both of them knew from... I don't know, not the very beginning, but have known for a really long time that there's something, well, wrong with her according to the the council rules, and he yeah. very much is afraid that she's going to destroy all of his prospects, and he pretty much resents her for being not normal. Yeah, and which, like, to some extent, is fair enough. He is 16. His parents have been murdered by the council. All he wants to do is, like, build a life for himself. And that could be ruined by the fact that his sister has, um... They call them true dreams, but basically premonitions, and can hear thoughts. Yeah. Which, as you do, right? Yeah. Um, so there comes a point in the story 
where we find out that um, there is a woman coming to the orphanage to pick out the extra weird ones to take them back to this terrifying place called Obernewton. And Obernewton has this um, reputation as being a place that misfits go and never come out of. Like, you don't... You've never seen nor heard of again. So, and they get treatment there. Lots of air quotes around the word treatment, by the way. Yeah. I mean, that was... That was a weird one to begin with, the whole... Mmm, great, so we have medical experiments too now. Yeah. Um... Yeah. <laughs> anyway, also we have to introduce Marmon. Oh, Marmon. Yes. Just, I kept reading it and I kept thinking of Saruman for whatever reason. <laughs> so it's, it's just like, ooh, okay. <laughs> it's Marwan. I did, but read it as Marmon every time. <laughs> it's Marmalade. Look, over there, it's Marmalade. So Marmon is a cat and um, not her cat. He's his own cat. He's a wild cat who's missing an ear and has had a bite taken out of his other ear. He's scarred and battered with only one eye. And he's he's lived a rough life. But he is a free cat. Yeah. And I do <laughs> I do like the whole she can talk to animals um, mind to mind. Uh, I'm really it's sad that we don't have that in more stories where people have the ability to, to read minds and that sort of stuff. Yeah, and I it it does end up being a special a, a, like a separate gift in this um universe that she like here's a hint, she's way OP cuz she's the special, but um yes. it ends up being its own separate gift and we end up with a lot of characters who can't speak to human minds but can speak to to animals mind to mind and people who can speak to mind to mind with people but not with animals because there's like a, a language barrier to some extent the the animals speak with this like um thought impression um thing so we often get descriptions in the book about like they they're sending like characters and images that have multiple meanings attached and she has to like try and sift out what that effectively translates to. I think she actually does a really good job in the next book, which is The Far Seekers, about um, describing what the animal communication methods are like. Yeah. But it is only briefly touched on in this book um, because we... She basically discovers the gift when she meets Marman for the first time and they end up having this interaction being like what you can speak to me and I can speak to you and this is crazy um, and he then like becomes pretty much her companion for this and he is to a large extent a narrator of a lot of the events that are coming he also has premonitions but he's incredibly old like it is hinted at by him in the book that he might actually be as old as their style of community like pre he he has direct memories of the great white so that's the Although apocalypse the, the way it seems to be explained in the book is that they they can have 
memories from from multiple generations. Like yeah, I thought the rave was memorable. yeah. And I think that's actually really interesting, really interesting point to just think about. Oh yeah, I have all of the memories of my great great grandparents. Yeah, and I mean that that's possible. Um, more things come up in later books that I have theories about. Um, which I don't really want to spoil because I do actually want you guys to like read the whole thing which I found out book the last book is out and I haven't even read it yet anyway it's been a drama <laughs> I am so keen I have no idea when I'm going to have time to read it but I am so keen anyway so this woman from Newton is coming she's going to pick out the extra weird weirdos um they actually end up being... El- Elspeth thinks she's actually going to be fine because she doesn't have any interactions with this woman. She's almost out of the clear. And then, because she's on kitchen duty, <clears throat> she gets asked to serve tea to her on her last day. Um, which kind of sucks. Because um, then she gets singled out and her cover gets a little bit blown. Which, again, sucks balls. Um, and she basically knows as soon as she leaves the room that, you know, she has the premonition that she's going to open you and she's getting picked. There's no way out of this. And the plan becomes how to save her brother from this. Yeah. I mean, even though he, they, they don't have the best relationship and he seems to uh, resent her for a lot of things that, she has no fault in. She's still like, I have to save you from all the bad things. Yeah. Which I think is good, except that she uses his girlfriend. So she gets into the mind of her brother's girlfriend and convinces the, the brother's girlfriend to report her <coughs> for having true dreams, but only since she fell in the not-tainted puddle from earlier. Right? <laughs> yes. It's all good. It's just because so of it's the not bad genetic. Puddle. It's exposure. Yeah, it's exposure. Yeah, because if Which, they would have found out it was genetic, then her brother would have been knocked down a peg as well. Not knocked down a peg. They both would have been burnt at the stake. After being uh, no, exposed, I, I think he would have just sent to the to the farms, right? No, that um the mind reading premonition things from birth. They they send they burn them. Oh, okay. Fun. Yeah. Super happy fun times. And they take a really religious air of like purifi- purifying society. Anyway, so then she's off. She's off to Ober Newton. We meet a couple of cool characters en route um, to Ober Newton who give us insight into like the rest of the world as far as possible. Like the, the druid. So Henry Druid is uh, a, a rebel uh, who escaped from the herders and is living somewhere in the mountains. And we've got like, we get a, a sense of the different societies and different communities and how they <coughs> relate and interact with the, um, the, the world, the, basically the outside world, outside of everything she's experienced so far. Yeah. And after that brief glimpse... Of just like world building, we're in Ober Newton then. 
<laughs> and this is where the story picks up, doesn't it? This is where you started getting involved or well, not even yet? Not even yet. Because we are at Obernewton, but it's I mean, it's the title of the book. We have it all hyped up for the for the first chapters, you know, ooh, the, the mysterious Obernewton and then we're there and it's like oh okay, so it's just farms. <laughs> yeah, it's just a really big um very far away from everybody else, surrounded by black lands and so that's oh, like geez. the radioactive um the semi radioactive zones. So there's yeah. like truly glassy black space that you can't enter at all, but you can pass over the blacklands within a short period of time and survive. So she sorry. So they pass a couple of these blacklands spots and then end up going to Ober Newton. So you can't really really escape without yeah. getting really sick. True. So we we arrive there, we get introduced to Ariel, which I never considered as a male name, so that was interesting. Yeah. Um, and Ariel is uh, listed as, like, 12 in the book, and uh, Elspeth's age is never really given. I think that's very important in, like, relating to the character, so that... <coughs> The story tells us that her older brother is 16 and that Ariel is 12 and her age sits somewhere between the two. And I think not giving a specific age makes her more relatable because we're not eliminating any, like, age group, right? Yeah. She could be, like, 16 but, like, a little bit younger, like, five and nine months or whatever. Yeah, I Sorry, guess it's 15 also... and nine months. I mean, it's also sometimes hard to tell how old she is because she, I thought she acted a lot older than what she must be by calculations. Yeah, and I'm inclined to agree with you, except for the fact that I was a really sensible and very boring young adult, and I've got more silly the older I get. <coughs> so I can definitely yeah. relate to her. I found her super boring and a bit of a narc. Which is probably how I would describe myself in high school, in early high school, too. Yeah, maybe. Just because you didn't know me then, you didn't know about my knock stages. I mean, she's that's not a an surprise, but... Though, She's not an informer, though. Let's, like, let's make it clear. She doesn't dob in anybody, but she's not like going out of her way to do anything exciting. She's really boring. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> anyway, so we're there. We meet Ariel. And then we... Why am I being a teapot? Um, okay. So we meet <laughs> Ariel, and Ariel is just pissed off with her at the beginning and honestly there's no real reason why other than he's just a bit of a dick I mean did yeah. you ascertain reason why I mean not really he's just he's very narcissistic <laughs> and very self important yeah and he just I As mean well. he's the typical person of yeah like he's just a little dick in puberty 
clearly not having much in his life except for his position of power and he really enjoys fucking people over the head with he's it. He's described as having girly shoulders in the book, which as a description <laughs> amuses the shit out of me. He's like really soft, he's got delicate bone structure and really girly shoulders and he's just like effeminate to a T and he's like, fuck this I'll be the bad guy in the story <laughs> yes, pretty much Like nobody calls my shoulders feminine, damn you <laughs> yeah, so he takes a quick disliking to Elspeth and deposits her in the kitchen um, where she proceeds to work for like the next six months, which we don't get more than a couple of instances of just because it is so mindless and boring and she is so tired like a hundred percent of the time yeah it does not sound enjoyable at all no um having to we do get into pretty much everything that is around yeah all the pots and it's greasy and dank and she hasn't been outside in years and well six months and she goes <laughs> kind of like pale and sickly Fun times. Yeah. And the daughter of the, the cook is just a real bitch. I mean, she's she's pouring boiling oil over her at some stage. Oh, that's one time. She's yeah. boiling oil. But, but they spend a lot of time, like, pinching each other and, like, <clears throat> yeah, needling just, each other until they fuck up. Yeah. I mean, first of all, it's just really fucked up in general. And secondly, the whole incident of being burnt with boiling oil is just overlooked by her like oh man she was really mean to me that day like what the fuck Uh, there's a lot of other shit that happens on the day she gets burnt with oil I mean yeah but still when she talks about the the whole thing happening it's just like okay could you be maybe a slight bit more outraged or concerned about this yeah we don't like to think so, but, you know, it's slave labor. labor. Anyway, so, then this super important time comes, and that time is harvest time. And we get out of the kitchens for a bit. Yay! For a bit, I mean, pretty much forever now, right? <laughs> uh, at least for this part of the book until winter starts again. Yeah. Um, so, there... She actually gets to meet some new characters. We get introduced to new characters. We get to meet Matthew, who is um, basically a general handyman for most of the year, though he is lame. He, he, he's lame. Can't walk. Um, I mean, yeah, he has have, a limp leg, right? Yeah, one lame leg. Well, it doesn't really work. I mean, he's still got the other one. He does. Which is very exciting. It's the only reason he can still work. Um, we also meet two of the Norfolk, um, which is, again, another island that we don't really learn much about, except that they're not from their main community, who, yeah. have, who are missing a hand each. Which is just... Meh. Yeah, it's a lot of broken people here. Um, and then we have Damien... Damien? Damien. Yeah. Damon. Damien, I think, or something. Ah, God, who knows. We have the blind kid. Who's blind? Yeah. But, turns out, for Elspeth, she's not alone. Matthew is also a far seeker in that he can read, he can 
speak to people mind to mind from really far away. And Damien is an empath. Yeah, so much excitement. And also, I Your mean, she's, de- she's debating if she should trust them, but within like a page or two, it's like, yeah, okay, fine, I trust them. Yeah, they're this, equally weird like me. I mean, this could have turned out really badly. It could have, but it didn't, so it's fine. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, we're also introduced to a couple of other characters, Selma and Camo. So Selma is previously described as the hope of all over Newton, um, and now she's fucking crazy. And yes, I, like mentally ill. No, properly. more than mentally ill. She lapses in and out of consciousness. She lapses in and out of psycho- psychosis. She's like <clears throat> not really all there all the time. She wanders pretty much freely because there's nothing anybody else can do about it. And she has true waking visions and it's just like terrifying. She also has a really haunted look in her eye. <clears throat> yeah, which you would think seeing how she's fucking haunted mentally. Yeah. Um, as the story goes on, we also get... so There's also Camo. And she comes to the attention of the doctor. Dum dum dum. Yeah. And the doctor would like to take Camo to do some treatment on her. The same treatment that's being done to Sleema. Selma. Selma. Selma, 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 Selma. (laughs) Yes. The whole... um, It... It did take um, Elspeth a little bit longer in the book, by the sound of it, to connect the two things. Yeah. Um, even after, even after um, Lewis, I think, um, who said Lewis that Selma Larkin. used to be. Yeah. Who said that Selma used to be a really nice girl, really normal, all cheerios and everything. Until yeah, she used to light up the room. Yeah, and then she got treatments, and now there's nothing lighting up anymore. Yeah. Um, so Madame Vega comes back into town, back to Obernewton. Um, she is the woman that selected Elspeth out of the crowd to come back to, to Obernewton. She's, she's the woman in charge of that. And, and she previously was really nice and all smiles and cheers and seemed like a super top-notch person. Yeah. Anyway, she's a bitch. Um, they interview Elspeth. Um, they take her to the doctor's chambers and interview her and with the intention of trying to, like, suss out if she's the one. But they all already kind of know that she's not because of this... Uh, because she fell in tainted water and she's a dreamer and that's not what they wanted. They wanted somebody who was smart and not a dull wit. <laughs> yes, they need somebody super powerful and she clearly isn't that. And basically the entire lie of how she got any abnormalities is kind of saving her ass multiple times here. Yeah. So they kind of, they just start, they end up ignoring her and writing her off, which is great. Good for her. Um, 
Yeah, so she gets to go back out to working on the farms, which she's very excited about. She gets to work with horses, and she gets to meet this dog called Shana. <clears throat> and Shana is from the Highlands, and he is his own kind of dog. <clears throat> a bit like Ma Marman, 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 whatever we're calling him now. Marmalade. Marmalade. Yes. Uh, yeah. So he he's his own type of semi wild animal that just kind of like chills on the farm, and you know helps out where he can. And so she chats with him, and he's like, "Well, why don't you ask the horses if they will do the things you need to do?" And she's like, "Cool, of course I'll ask them. That seems like the polite thing to do." So she like <laughs> greets every horse and like goes in and talks to them, and then ask them if they will take a walk out to the field with her and then they do and then she gets to muck the stables and then she manages to do that job really easily too easily in fact and therefore the farm overseer Rushton is super suspicious dum 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 which like of course you get suspicion here by just being too good she's too good she's too quick um And she's like, oh, no, my father kept horses. And he's like, uh-huh. Did he also keep cows? And she's like, uh, no. And he's like, excellent, you're milking cows. <laughs> like, okay. So she ends up milking cows. Um, basically, farm duties from here on in become milking cows for her. Yeah. Although, it, I mean, it does make me wonder if she's super quick at it. Suspicion or not. Why don't you... Let her keep doing it since she's super quick in it. Like, that's what's about the efficiency here? Yeah. Let's see now he has to deal with this girl more. So Rushton is a nineteen-year Rushton is a nineteen-year-old boy, and he's not really interested in this little girl hanging around. Not that we know how old she is. <laughs> that's not true. There's only like two or three years between them. Anyway. In case you didn't catch that, he's the man-mate character of this story. <clears throat> yeah. Without although, actually being described as man-mate, because she does not like him. <laughs> I mean, also, even though we, we get the first, I don't know, proper beginning to their relationship or whatever in the, the end of the book, the entire book is very PG. Like, there isn't even a thought of anyone being attractive in that sense. It's all very, very clean. Yeah, and I think that kind of fits with, like, that age group, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, which, is, fair enough, it, it's not what the story's aiming for, it's not a romance or kind of book, it's a post-apocalyptic book, with a hero's journey. Yes. And no smooching! <laughs> no smooching. Well, we do kind of, like, get a budding relationship between Matthew and Camo. Um, true. Although the same there, it's it's done very cleanly. Yeah, very clean. Um, <clears throat> um, so all of those things being established, we have Camo starts disappearing after her treatments. Um, things going a bit crazy. Elspeth starts getting plagued by nightmares. Um, and all those kind of things. She's really tired <clears throat> and then I think she tries to talk to Matthew who's too far away so she decides to far seek him and she, she loosens her mind in an attempt to talk to Matthew only to be super distracted by like how much space there is and she's like well let's 
like I'm taking a moment. Let's see how far I can go. Let's see if I can get out of the highlands with my brain um, <laughs> and push the boundaries on this. Um, and then she gets snared in a mind trap. Yes, which is just... I mean, it's not explained that fully, so I did find it really confusing, especially in uh, once the, the machine came into the mix as well. I've, I found that scene awfully confusing. Yeah? Well, yeah. So she describes it as a thing that is e- has an evil intention but doesn't seem to have a person attached to it. And so she's really struggling to understand. She, she kind of like makes the mental leap that this what, must be what a machine is because she's heard from Larkin that, you know, it's a machine. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then she's like, I'm trapped, I'm trapped, I don't know what to do, like, set up this machine, and I don't know how to get my mind back into my body, like, really freaking out. Um, what bit did you not understand? It's it's not that I didn't understand it, it's simply that it was weirdly described, because... Yeah. It took me a while to realize that she was going for two separate things. Like, there being the, well, not consciousness, but the the presence of the machine, and then also being the presence of a group of people in one. It just, I don't know, it was a really strange setup that I didn't really know what to do with. <laughs> yeah, so the, the, like, group of people setup is that somebody... Come, basically comes to her mental rescue. Somebody who is more than one person. It the the voice has an echo as if it's a hundred voices or m- multiple voices within the same kind of setup within with the same thought. So there's multiple people backing backing her rescuer trying to get her out. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. I thought it was a weird, confusing situation. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it was. I Like, I, I, I don't know. I've read it multiple times, so maybe I guess that that detail is expected now. Like, I just know what the deal is, so I didn't struggle with it at all. And the first time I read it was so long ago, I don't remember having struggled with that detail. But, um... Yeah, so together they all pull away and manage to break free of the machine. And that's when things start going crazy. For Elspeth, who really shuts down and never does this again and doesn't test anything ever again, which irritates the shit out of me. But, um... Yes. Yeah, for Camo, shit starts to get really terrible because they... Madame Vega and the Doctor and the Doctor's evil half-brother, or evil adopted brother, um, think that it's Camo that did it, and she starts kind of getting, like, instead of instead of getting placebo treatments from the half-wit doctor, she ends up getting, like, genuinely tortured by um, Ariel and Madame Vega and Alexi, who's the half-brother, and, and it does not go well for her. She starts becoming more and more, like, Selma. Yeah, and it's we have um, we have Elspeth um, breaking into 
breaking into the the office yeah, so of they, the doctor. Yeah, so they end up deciding that they need to escape. She, well, Matthew, first I think and I think the first time they're breaking in is to find out what what treatments she's getting, right? No, they break in to try and find a map and an arrow case. Okay. And she's not successful. Um, so the they decide that they need to escape. Um, but they can't do it with winter coming, so they're going to try and gather s- the supplies over the next, like, six months, however long winter is, because they say that winter's a very long time here, um, to so that they can make it outside of Newton and down into the the valley in the highlands before the blacklands, but also that's where this druid might be hiding, <coughs> the, the rebels from before. And um, they're like, well, if he can survive there, we can survive there. So that's basically, that's where, they're, that's where they're trying to, that's the end goal to get there. But what they need is like maps and compasses and stuff like that. So Elspeth recalls from her interview with the doctor, the defective doctor who doesn't do anything effective. Um, he, she's like, there were maps there and I'm betting they had arrow cases. <clears throat> and that being a compass. Yeah. And... I, I don't know at what point it was, but she she does overhear Alexi and Vega talking about how they're just like how they're giving the doctor his pseudo patients that he can play around with to feel like he's doing something while they can yeah. do the actual work, let's call it work in the background. Yeah. So they're torturing Camo. So uh, Elspeth distracted in her breaking into the doctor's study, having opened the locks on the door with her mind. Yeah, that's telepathic mean, and telekinetic. Yeah, that that was a strange introduction to the telekinetic skills of I can read people's minds, I can control people's minds, and also I can open a lock with my mind. Yeah, I can pick locks. But apparently nothing else, just locks. Yeah, she's not very good at, at anything much bigger than the lock. I just feel like she's probably had a lot of practice with the locks. Um, yeah. And not, like, a lot of practice doing anything else. Like, there's been no need. Um, <clears throat> sorry, my throat is really dry. Um, and then, yeah, so we she, she gets super distracted in the library being like... Compute basic computer programming. What is this nonsense? <laughs> hint, hint. Keep an eye on that book for later. Um, so we have that, and then she finds the diaries and and letters from the second wife of the master of Obernewton, and she, between that and overhearing Alexi and Vega talk, she kind of surmises that. Um, they are trying to make Camo recall the thoughts of the this woman as she was writing her diary because she, this mad woman of science a hundred years ago, managed to find where the machines were that caused the Great White. Yeah, I mean, that also seemed like very... Uh, I don't know, it, it felt like that particular plot point was not thought out that much. Like, um, 
Okay, so that woman knew where the maps are, and they need want to find out where the maps are. Um, oh, I know. She can now read the minds of somebody through their notes. Wait, what? Look, I... It's a little bit too far-fetched, is all I'm saying. Yes and no, because, like, there, there's talk earlier in the book of, like, buildings giving her impressions and stuff like that. Like, the farm... When she's doing the far-seeking stuff, she can feel, like, the impressions left on buildings and stuff like that. So... But then I feel like, because tiny, tiny jump ahead when she actually touches the the notebooks, mm-hmm. and she immediately can like hear the thoughts of what was it, Marissa, Miranda, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that just sounds like whenever she touches a plate, she should immediately have the thoughts in her head of the person who made the plate at that moment. It so- just it sounded I way think over there the are some extenuating circumstances in that scene, and we'll we'll get to it, and I'll talk about it then. Yeah. Um. Uh. So that trip doesn't work out. We've got a lot of information, but none of the arrow cases and no maps. Yeah. After we that, we also find a love letter. In yes. The, in the office. The second master of Over Newton. And this other woman being like, I love you so much, but my mo- my mother has found a better wife for me, and I don't think you're appropriate. <laughs> you're a poor little town girl. This can never work out. Basically. And it's like, an open Newton kind of sucks. It's cold, and there's nothing to do up here. <laughs> so... So maybe I'm going to marry this woman who doesn't love me instead of you who does love me, because... Because I don't want to ruin your life. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great letter. Captivating reading. <laughs> and clearly never been sent. It. Yeah. It's just, he just stopped talking to her. He basically ghosted her. <laughs> Rude. Um, cool. Back then, when it was, you know, in the actual future. effort. Back, back then in the future, when it was actual effort. <laughs> So we also get a couple more misfits arriving, one of whom is Rose Mude, or whatever her name is, which is her brother's girlfriend. And her brother's girlfriend was not uh, a weirdo in any way, shape, or form, and should not be in Over Newton. Yes, so she like, clearly was never a misfit, and now she's one. Yeah, <clears throat> and she's a misfit um, by... Uh, I don't know. Closeness? What? What's the correct word I'm looking for here? Association. Association. Yeah. Because turns out Jess had these whole. So that's the brother, Elizabeth's brother, had these abilities the whole time, and he didn't even know until he meets this other boy, and they basically start planning their own tiny rebellion and escape. Which goes horribly wrong. Um, Jess gets shot by what? We're not really sure. I'm going to assume it's an arrow. I don't think they have guns. But he gets shot and he's dying. And then he lashes out with his mind and kills the guards. Yeah, he kills like two people before he succumbs to... I mean, I would assume at best it's... um, What am I looking for? 
a crossbow, maybe? Yeah. But, um, yes, just killing two people with his fucking mind. Pretty impressive. Um, but, yeah, then the girlfriend doesn't really want to talk to Elspeth ever again. Well, what we do find out, then, is that the councilman want to see her, want to speak to her, want to know what the hell is going on. Yeah. And And so they're like... We also know that she... Like, Obernewton can't or wouldn't protect her from the council, basically, so... Not at all. Um, So we gotta get her out of here. Yeah, the only protection is potentially the winter. So if she could... If the pass freezes over... Then she can, she has until, you know, next year to try and escape. But if it doesn't freeze over, then they'll be arriving any day. Yes. So stakes. Raised. Yeah. So she sneaks out again, this time to go and find the map and the arrow case. Because she's like, this needs to happen, like, now. And so she... We run into the secret sneaky potion that they use to keep the door closed, which is like a sleeping gas. Yeah, it's a bit weird. Yeah. Um, And she manages to successfully steal um, the arrow case and the map this time, right? Yeah. So, yay to the yays. Yay! We got what we need, and it'll all be fine now. Yeah. Um, and then we have Selmer's people escape. coming. Well, then we have people coming in, right? And she needs to hide. Yeah. And um, she overhears them. Oh, it's Vega coming back um, through a secret passage together with Alexei and... Ariel, I think. And Ariel Selma. and Selma. And Selma is gone. No, yeah. Selma almost finds where Elspeth is hiding. But Alexi turns around and yells at her to get her away from his books because she might destroy them. Yeah, and she's, Maybe she has super, <laughs> and she's clearly super vacant now. Like, Selma yeah, is... There's pretty much nothing much left inside of her. Yeah, just an empty pot, empty shell. Um, <clears throat> so that's super exciting. Elspeth goes back to her room. She tells Matthew and Damien that it's time to, I mean, that she has all the equipment, that she's prepared to go whenever they are, and then we get word that the councilmen are arriving. And I think that's kind of what triggers all the things. So... Madame Vega and Alexi start like actively looking for her because the councilmen want to want to interview her about what happened to her brother because they need to know. Um, they have nobody else left to torture, so they're going to go find her, which sets, which makes Madame Vega and Alexi suspect that she's the one that they need, right? To to use yeah. the machine and um, to find the the weapons of mass destruction, effectively. Um, so she's like, "Well, fuck this." And sets off, escapes her room, and heads off. And then, like, half a paragraph later, she's captured from behind. And somebody has a knife pressed to her throat. And we figure 
Yes, and we do figure out that it's uh, Russian. And we get that, I think, maybe half a page of, wait, is he one of the bad guys too now? Yeah, and he's like, I'm here for my own reason, like, fuck you, you're gonna ruin this, we're gonna get you out, but don't ruin this for me, like, I got shit to do here and it's important. (laughs) I've got plans, okay, I've got plans. Yeah. Yes. So, then Ariel arrives. Yeah, sorry, yes. He drags her off to a room, he's like, the fuck are you doing? And she's like, I'm gonna escape, and he's like... Bitch, you don't know what you're doing. They've left the dogs out. What the fuck is wrong with you? Ooh, and I have a plan. I will get you out. Just wait here. Then there's a knock on the door. And it's Ariel. And he's like, that bitch Elspeth has escaped. Um, and he's like, okay, what do you want me to do about it? And he's like, well, like, help me look for her, you dumb fuck. And you're like, Ariel, do you really have a position of power here? Do you? Um, the answer is yes. Uh, so Rushton like leaves uh, Elspeth instructions on how to get out. He's not yeah. 100 sure because he thinks and that there's a secret passageway. <laughs> also, to be fair, the the dogs are wild wolves who've been trained to maim everything they catch. So yeah. Yeah, slight obstacle. Yeah, they're aerial wolves. Yes. And they're wild caught animals that he's driven crazy. So it's it's great. It's it's fine. Nothing to worry here. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my theory, which isn't confirmed ever, but kind of spoils a little bit of information as well, is that Ariel is a coercer. He can get into the dog's minds and he drives them crazy mentally rather than like with physical torture. That's okay. why he's the only one who can control them. Anyway, so that's my theory. But, yeah, so... Uh, Elspeth goes to follow Rushton's mother's secret passageway idea. You know, because his mother was up there. Um, and so she's like... Moves the tapestry aside, finds out there's a tunnel, goes to the tunnel, we pop out another pas- tapestry, and then we have to, like, swap tapestries and keep sneaking out and then go through a drain... And we end up on the other side of one of the courtyards. Yeah, but we have we have Shana helping her through it, which is yeah. good because he has better hearing and vision in the dark. So yeah, and he has to help the Enel, um, which is like the Beast's version of Neo, the One. Um, <laughs> yeah, which is very exciting. Um, and then we find out that the Wolves are not uh, let out outside of Obernewton, but they've been let out inside Obernewton. Um, and there is no way to get past this courtyard without, like, alerting the wolves that they're there. Yeah, and I think she, she does try to reach out to their minds, or maybe it's Shana who's trying to reach out to their minds? No, it's her that does it. He's like, I don't know why you fucking tried. Yeah, although I think he was he was trying to talk to them too from mind to mind and yeah. and then said something along the lines of these are wild beasts, you can't reason with them, there's there's nothing left yeah. in them to, to talk to basically. Yeah, pretty much. Um so he does the self sacrificing thing and she manages to escape on the other side. 
of this, which is very tragic, and I'm very sad. But Shana was a great character. Very, yes. very good dog. What's wrong with dog. people killing off the poor dogs in stories? It's not okay. It's more that he was an equal participant in this adventure, and then he had to be sacrificed. Uh, anyway. Uh, she doesn't dwell on it long, because she's got to slog through the snow that has started falling. Yeah, we get, like, proper winter going on here. Yeah, it is a big, big storm. So, off she trots, um, and then she nearly dies in the snow. She's cold. Um, She's cold. That's fine. Yeah, she's got hypothermia, or she's bordering on hypothermia. Um, And we end up running into a character called Dominic. Who's like? He's like, hey, is there somebody out there? And she's like, taking a risk, being like, yes, I'm out here. Please save me. I'm so cold. Like, I'm not making it far. And he's like, he gets her and like takes her in. And he's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, everybody's looking for you. Like, well, wait till the storm has passed, and then I will, then I'll take you back up to the main house. And he like fixes her frostbitten feet, and then yeah, locks and her I, in a I cage. Mean, I mean, I get the point that that she is. You know, she's freezing cold. She thinks she's not going to make it far. But the way this entire scene was written of just, oh, man, this is cold. Oh, man, I'm, I'm not quite sure which direction I have to go. Oh, there's a stranger shouting that I don't know who it is. It could be just, it could be a councilman for all she knows. And she just goes, yeah, no, I'm here. I don't know who you are, but come on, let's give this a go. It yeah. seems very risky and stupid. Yeah, I just I don't think she quite establishes the stakes high enough to be shouting out to just some random. But I do get where she's going with this in the story. Like, like we have to kind of she hasn't she hasn't raised the stakes, but we have to make the assumption that the stakes are raised so that she doesn't feel her feet and like, you know, it's life or death almost at this point anyway. Yeah, because it definitely doesn't sound like that. So the whole time I was just thinking. Oh, okay, so we're giving up now, basically? Because if that person is just super inclined to immediately take her back to the building, this is it. Yeah. Um, so he takes her to one of the watch houses, um, warms up her feet, feeds her some soup, locks her in a cage, she falls asleep. Then they have a secret rebel meeting next to her cage. Well, not quite. In the room next to her, um, where she gets to overhear that Rushton has been... Captured. Taken? Captured? But not really, because he probably went willingly um, as part of his like disguise um, up until the point where they strap him into an evil machine. Anyway, so she's like, no, he tra- he saved me, so I have to try and save him. And they're like, alright, well, <laughs> there's no loss if you die. Um, <laughs> and they're like, she's like, I can talk to his mind, I just have to get close enough. You're like, just fucking find his mind now, you have the magical power, he's not that far away, you don't, well, you know he's not that far away, because Selma and um, Camo basically told you where it is, yeah, you know, especially, in this screaming nightmares. Especially because she doesn't know how, like, how big the distance is that she would have to open her mind to in order for the machine to catch her. So it would have been worth at least a try <laughs> instead of her immediately going, oh, no, I can't do that. The machine is going to come. Yeah, I just feel like she didn't... She's kind of a coward in this book. Like, 
A bit, yeah. She is. She does get better in the next books. I promise she starts getting brave. But she's really a coward in this first book. But she sets off to try and find Rushton um, and save him because she feels obliged to. Um, And then she falls over in the snow. Because she feels she has to. Nah. Yes. Because he saved her life, so, you know, she has to try, at least. Um, Yeah, she falls over in the snow. Like, a lot. Dramatically. Hits her head again. Seriously. About these head wounds. Um, And then um, wakes up in the snow hours later with no sense of time being like, well, fuck. (laughs) Anyway, so she keeps on keeping on after trying to treat her frostbitey feet. Because, you know, they're starting to go frostbitten again. Knowing that she's going to get sick. it's fine, you just need to rub them. Yeah. Knowing that she's going to get sick because she has a tickle in her throat from having a sleep in the snow. Not a good idea. Would would not recommend. Um, And then she runs into Marmon, and he is super mad that she didn't come get him. (laughs) (laughs) I've waited for you. I wrote you a letter every day. Well, no. He was like, you didn't come and get me, so I had to do all of this hard work, and I don't need any of this dying in the snow shit from you. Get up, let's go. <laughs> We're getting out of these mountains. I hate the mountains. She's like, okay, well, we have to save my friend first. He's like, fine, we save your friend, and then we leave the mountains. Spoiler, yeah, which... they never leave the mountains. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, so... Merman is actually really good at this. He's like, no, 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 that's a hole. Be careful where you step. Don't fall in that snow. Why are you not paying attention? <laughs> Jesus. Typical, you're typical humans just being shit yeah. at everything. Bloody fungi. Don't know anything. Um, yes. Anyway, so Marmon gets him to the secret sneaky cave. How he knows where to go is, I'm going to say, mostly visions. He operates almost I mean, entirely. <clears throat> I mean, to be fair, he, he he doesn't get her all the way. Yeah. He, he gets pretty close, having, though. Yeah, he starts having one of his... He has a seizure. Weird, yeah, his, his weird premonition moments and just faints in the end. <laughs> and she's yeah. just like, well, I'll put you into this tiny cave with my jacket because now apparently the cold isn't that bad anymore. I think it is, but I think they're that close that she's, like, fine about it. I mean, that, yes, but at least at one point I would have liked to hear her, man, this is really cold without my jacket now. No, I think, so, I think that, because this is the first book she's ever written and rewritten, she does somewhat miss the internal monologue voice, like, responding to the environment. And, and it's interesting to see her, this, this series of books particularly, see her writing style grow and these characters become more fleshed out. And a lot of the criticism she did get for this book was that um, Elspeth is fairly emotionless. She's not particularly emotive. Um, yeah. And not because right. she's an... Yeah, but not because she's, like, an inemotive in character. So the descriptions are given, or, like... It says what emotion she's feeling, but it's not described a lot. And I think that's pretty valid. I don't think it really detracts from the story at all, though. And I do very much... I have very much enjoyed this whole series of books, clearly. Um, But, yeah, the the character now versus the character, like, two books from now, 
is definitely more fully developed and more grown and the voice of the character is much better and comes across much clearer in the text. Oh. So, anyway. So it's a learning curve. Yeah, I mean, she wrote this in high school, so. Fair enough. Yeah. And honestly, she wrote this in high school as did the girl who wrote the selection. So, like, mm. let's compare. Did she, though? Isn't didn't the writer who wrote the selection started it in high school? Ooh. Or is she an adult when she wrote that? Hold on, we we gotta find that out. Okay, let's See. let's continue on. I will find that out in the background. Okay, so um, cool, 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 cool. She makes it to the cave. She makes it to the cave, and then we get a comment from oh no we immediately find camo who's there and she was like couldn't save you like i couldn't keep you safe and it, like camo this is camo telling her being like i tried like i tried you shouldn't have come i like i was trying to keep you safe you you have to leave you have to leave and she was like no 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 i came for you like you're okay we're gonna save you and then camo goes excellent great i'm so glad you're here and dies <laughs> yes it's a very dramatic oh i got to see you as you died sort of moment. Yeah, and it, like, it is really unfortunate, just because this is the start of Matthew falling in love with women who proceed to die. Or, like... <laughs> anyway, he just has a really tragic love life. Um, yeah. Okay, quick side note. Kiara Cass was 32 years old when she wrote The Selection, the first book. Well, Isabel Comedy was... In high school, so I think quality It's really interesting, standard. though, that given her age when she wrote the stories, that the, the characters are, like, less, less emotional than I would have thought from somebody in high school, but maybe that's just me. Yeah, but, like, I feel that. That's how I felt in, in high school. Maybe she just has, like, teenage depression. Maybe. Who knows? Okay. Regardless, though, we have uh, we have cameo dying, super sad, um, and we yes. have her hearing some chattering going on in the neighboring caves, and is like, whoop, found them. Yeah, and immediately Alexi like smashes her in the back of the head, being like, "Thanks for coming." <laughs> yes, um, it, I mean she does go over the thought of. Well, I was supposed to wait outside for reinforcements, so this was really stupid, wasn't it? <laughs> so she does learn eventually a bit. Yeah, like just a bit. She um, no, she doesn't. She gets smashed in the head and has learned nothing. <laughs> she just goes in guns blazing and not paying attention. Yeah. And um, she wakes so up, she then wakes up, yeah. Because we're, we're mad scientists sort of scene right now. Yeah, and, like, we are... <laughs> this is also where we get, like, most of the exposition about what the evil plan is, too. Yes, because it's the evil James Bond villain that now needs to expose all of his knowledge. Yeah. 
So she gets tied to what is called the Debrachen machine. Yeah, it's a super weird name. I mean, once again, oh. fucking fantasy words. I'm sorry. You have more chances of pronouncing this because there is an inappropriate H in this word. And that is so German. First of all, stop calling our H's inappropriate. <laughs> and secondly, hold on, let me see if I can, hold on, let me see if I can find it somewhere written down here. I can, I can tell you, it's Z-E-B-K-R-A-H-N. Zebrachen. I mean, it, do, it did not look in any shape or form German, but I don't know. It's a Zebcon, I guess. <laughs> I have no fucking yeah. clue. But, yes, fucking words. Anyways, this basically seems to become a mind-torturing machine. It gets into your brain and makes your brain tingle. It doesn't really seem <laughs> yes. to do anything else. Um, we also find that, like, Russian is there. And Elspeth, like, reaches out with her mind to talk to Russian. And she's like, oh, you're that guy from before. Oh, the guy who's got a void for a head. Um, because, you know, there's just... He doesn't have any magical powers. He's just got a really big space in there that can hold a lot of people. Which you don't really understand until later what, like, the significance of that is. Um, yeah, it means I mean, that it's, can... not, it's not even explained in this book properly. Because all we get to tell is that he was the one who, like, saved her with apparently a lot of other people. But it's not even explained that they were in his head. Like, I didn't know that. All I knew is that they were collectively together. But I didn't know in which, in, in whose yeah. head they were, like, hosted. Yeah, so he, the, his, like, key ability is that this he will get, like, powers after this. Not in the, the fantasy sense, but just in, like, the adult sense. Um, he's a landowner. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, the, like, he goes forward in the books to explain that, like, the great chasm inside of his brain means that a lot of people can, like, come far-seek into his head and talk to each other. So he basically becomes, like, a... He's a chat room. Yeah, I was going to say, I was thinking he was more like a signal booster. <laughs> or, like, yeah. He's, he's, he's MySpace, okay. He's, no, he's like a Wi-Fi booster. <laughs> he's fucking Facebook. He's the server. <laughs> um, he's Twitter. Anyway. Okay. Um, but that just—that's why there's a lot of people that can like congregate in his brain, and means that they can like share powers. He can direct them like all of their abilities when they're like using his void space as well. <laughs> so that means that like that they can combine their abilities and become stronger. Yeah. But there aren't a, like, yeah, anyway, it turns out there are not a lot of those either. Um, anyway, okay, cool. So she, she's, like, with him, and he's, like, if you mesh, if you do a mind meld with me, like, I promise not to look, and then we can share the excruciating torture that you, that's going on. And basically they step it up, and she goes, okay, yeah, let's share. <laughs> share the pain. Um... And so she gets the mental strength to endure the pain inflicted by the machine. Um, in she gets all of it's Marissa, right? Marissa's thoughts 
from the yeah. diary so they get thrust into her hands. So she starts getting all of that information and she does her best to keep Rushton out of those thoughts because she's like, nah, this information is going to die with me. I'm not like, we are burning all of this like when we get the chance of like, getting out of this. Um, but she gets pushed to the point where she can't stand it anymore and like lashes out with her brain to kill I mean we, we it, it goes it goes to the point where she I mean he clearly seems to be in more pain than she is from the machine yeah so she severs their their mental connection and then yeah she does read the mind of Marissa and she's like oh fuck I know where everything is now and then we have Alexei. she knows where she hid the map so she doesn't actually know where the yeah but she does get get an image of the the scene where the machine is like what the area looks like too does she? I didn't think so she gets the map but she also talks of the location how it's like a big rift in the ground with smoke coming out of it and stuff okay and All right. then I think Alexei just gets really impatient and he's like, you know what? She clearly seems to have feelings for this guy, so Vega, you kill him. Yeah, and she he's also like pumped up the machine and it so it's I'm not hundred percent sure what the like series of events is, but like the machine catches fire. <laughs> yeah, because um, clearly the machine can Vega. handle the, the the power that's going on. Yeah. Basically, I think it's just old and it overheats and then catches fire. Kind yeah. of like my laptop. Um, <laughs> and Vega is starting to threaten Rushton with a knife, I think. Yeah, and so then Elspeth un- completely understands how her brother killed a man and turns around and uses that same power to kill Vega. Um, and Alexei too, right? I think so. Because it said that uh, they're both dead, so I just assumed he was next. Well, Alexei just seems to die. I'm not really un- 100% sure how or why. He's just yeah, also Yeah, nobody dead, says so maybe... how. I just assumed. Yeah, we just kind but of assumed might... that. But it might be the reinforcement, which is coming in now. Yeah. Um, so she falls unconscious as Dominic and the other rebels from that secretly discuss their plan with Elspeth in the next room, um, rush the space, having taken her advice, being like, it's hidden behind the fireplace in the doctor's study. Take that path. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so she then passes out as they come in, and Ariel flees into the night with his wolves. Yes, it is suspected to be dead, which is clearly... Like, yeah, he's alive to come back later. Yeah, 100%. He is, like, the antagonist of this story. I mean, you you know that immediately in any book when it said, oh, yeah, and this guy died off screen and nobody saw it. Yeah, right. That person is definitely going to come back next book as a surprise villain. I don't think he's in the next book, but he's in the one after that. (laughs) Well, yeah, there you go. But, yeah, he comes back later and you're like, holy shit, you survived? Like, multiple books. Um, like, he goes... Ariel's story in and of itself is pretty spectacular as well. Anyway, so, back to those secret sneaky love notes that we read earlier. Yeah. It turns out... 
Rushton is the legal son or the legitimate son of Michael Obernewton, who um, who then ended up marrying that other woman that didn't love him. Yeah, Marissa, right? Was that Marissa? No, not Marissa. Marissa next Marissa's generation. Next generation. Yeah, it's a bit confusing. Yeah. So then he becomes the master of Obernewton. Look at him and his, like, land-grabbing power. I mean, technically he didn't make, make the official legal plea for it yet, because it's winter and it's kind of hard to get down to the yeah. to the council. But everybody at Obernewton is like, yeah, no, sounds like he has a fine claim. Like, he could be making all of this up. And everyone's just like, yeah, no, you're the boss. Yeah, it's fine. You want to be in charge of this shit show? Go right ahead. <laughs> um, no one but, of us has ambitions. Please, please, yeah. just go. So, so the, and also the whole thing that triggered this event was the councilman like arriving. Well, yeah. it turns out that Alexi and uh, Madame Vega had like taken them, drugged them, and thrown them in a cell and weren't going to do anything about it. So the fact that like Rushton's men come in, like get them out, like pack them up, give them some food, and say that they can go home. That and they're kind of like, "Yep, cool. Rushton's a new leader. We'll see you guys <laughs> later in spring. We're good. Let's get out of this hell." <laughs> yes, well, we'll, we'll putting a good word um, in for you with the council. It's fine. Yeah. So I think that I think they also say that they had phrased it like the the councilman being drugged and like thrown in a cell caused the whole revolt. Um, yes, wink, nudge, clearly, nudge. clearly we did all this just because we are such loyal creatures to the council. Yeah, but it works and they leave, so winning. Yay. Yes. Yeah, and that's so where we end. Accept. Yeah, we have Elspeth, I think, waking up like a week or so, or at least days later. Yeah, with Matthew and... Damien at her side being like, we're going to go to the cool new meeting about the future of Newton, Over Newton plans. Yeah. And she's like, Russian I want to go. Russian is planning to, like, set up a council and make this all democracy and everything. Yeah. Um, and basically collect all the misfits and find out what their powers are and then group them together based on their powers so they can teach one another what to Become do. Become super strong and then force the council into Sure. I don't think they're actively rebellious at this point, but that is kind of where this is headed, yes. Yeah, I mean, not hard to guess that we're going to try to overthrow the evil religious government. Yeah. That's several books. And I mean, we have a really super short, non-committal conversation between Russian and Elspeth. That's the last bit. Which, I mean, gives you the slight hint that there's something romantic yeah. going on here, she but gets, not She a gets lot. a little bit, like, warm, but you don't think there's <laughs> anything going on with him. She's like, oh, yeah, he's kind of pretty, isn't he? <laughs> oh, look, it was man meat all the entire time. Yeah, like, we only, re- the, the twist is we realize that he was the man meat all along, but um, we don't find that out until the last chapter, so... Did you yeah. twig to the fact that there might be a thing between them? Um, I think I definitely got the feeling of it when he comforted her when she was crying about the death of her brother. That's when I was like, oh, I see, this one is man-made. Because up uh, until that point, I wasn't sure if it's going to be Matthew or Damien. Because we didn't yeah. get any hints to anyone. But that was the moment where I was like, 
Ah, okay. Older guy. He's gotta be man meat. He's not that much older. Well, we don't but know her age. He could be a lot much older. He is either three years, like, it's either three years or five years difference, like. Yeah, which, I mean, once you're over 20, doesn't mean jack shit. But once you're, while you're still 13, it kind of means shit. Yeah, but we don't get anything from him. It's all about her and her perspective. And he doesn't do anything in, like, the next two books. There is nothing going on there for, like, the next two books. Yes, it's very... It's very PG. It's all good. Yeah, she just clearly doesn't have... She's the one. How is she going to have any romantic interest if she's off saving the world? Yeah, no, I know. It's the it's the same situation as Harry Potter, basically. Yeah. We have a task to do. Yeah, but look, I'm not going to lie. With, same with Harry Potter. Same with um, Elspeth. I had no interest in anybody until I had finished high school. So, like, maybe that's why I can relate to all these characters. Yeah, maybe. I mean, if it fits the story, then that's perfectly fine. Especially because if this is a really young adult book, snatch children's book, then yeah, of course, then I'm gonna put a big, big aspect on romance. Yeah, perfectly adequate. Okay, so I think that's. So, what's your final rating on this book then? Well, I did enjoy it. It was a pretty good story. I have to say, I'm not super keen on reading the other books. Ah, oh, no. But, like, I wouldn't mind reading them, but I don't really have any intrinsic motivation at this point to be like, ooh, I want to read the next one of this. So uh, I'll probably give I am a... six books deep. I will find the seventh one. <laughs> yes. You, you, you shall achieve the goal. Um, I, I don't know. I'll probably give it a... Th- Three and a half? Maybe four stars? Uh, yeah, I would probably give it a four, four and a half star kind of rating. I am a big fan of this book, but I can definitely see the places where it falls short. So, like, in, in its writing and stuff like that. But I promise that the writing does get better. She grows. She grows! <laughs> well, we'll see. Maybe if one day I actually have time to just read books all day long, I shall... Yes, do all one day. But we're sitting in that castle somewhere yeah. in Eastern Europe. We'll just read all the books, man. Yeah, if anybody wants to gift us a castle, we're all for it. Yes, we will bring the books and the ducks. You just have to bring the castle. Yeah, you can you can let us know by sending us an email at tereadlightlypod at gmail.com or just... messaging us on Instagram a T yes. underscore read lightly. Shout, shout castles at us. It's fine. Yes. I, go right ahead. We are all about that castle noise. <laughs> We're also on YouTube and Spotify and iTunes and iTunes. all the fucking platforms. Yeah. Rate and review us. We'd love to hear from you guys, castles or otherwise. Or we'll probably comment on your comments on our video because that's kind of where I'm at with my life right now. But <laughs> yeah, go to our website, choose our next book, or simply give us a recommendation if there's something you think we'd really enjoy or really hate. Yeah, either way. 
Yeah. So we'll see you guys all next week when we are doing the Hitchhiker's Guide, right? Yeah, much excitement. Much indeed. I'm super excited. I love that book. Douglas Adams is amazing. Yes. Yes, he is indeed. Yes. All right. Bye.